Gracious God and Heavenly Father, how powerful it is when we believe. How much it changes our lives and sets us on a path for eternity. But it's not just gazing into the future. That belief centers us into the very will of God. Places us as an adoptive son or daughter. Makes us whole through the healing power of Jesus Christ. And redeems us to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Father, for everyone here this morning, may we recognize the tremendous benefit of belief. What it means for each and every one of us that no matter what gets thrown our way, no matter what difficulties, whatever storms or tides get thrown our way, that belief that faith keeps us in the very palm of your hand. We thank you for its power, its resurrecting power that we can enjoy because of belief in you. And we pray these things in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Wonderful to have you here this morning as we gather together. And I just want to, you know, take a moment to welcome each and every one of you that are here live with us and also those that are watching online. Nice to have you as part of our church. And interestingly enough, you know, I appreciate it what Richard and Ali said about the whole online thing. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're, st- we're seeing growth in the number of people after a Sunday service who are engaging online with, with our, um, our video stream, which is really exciting, you know, because um, the message is really important, okay? And the message actually is more important than the medium or the meeting. And I know that uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a hard thing to hear, Right? But the message is more important than the medium, and even meeting together, okay? That's how important those things are. And anything that we can do to uh, promote the message of Jesus Christ, and, and think about it too this way. How many, how many of you find difficulty saying to somebody, come to church? Don't put up your hand. I'm, I'm sorry. Just, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, that's a teacher in me. Sorry. Um, but, you know, if we can be brutally honest, we live in a day and age. It's not comfortable. It's not easy to say to people, come to church, unless they're inclined to do so. Because all these anxieties, what, what happens right away when you say to somebody, come to church? <gasps> I hope they like it. I hope. Anyway, there's a whole l- number of things, you know. It's the one week so-and-so's away or, you know... Um, Right? It's, it's different than what it normally is. Or they're having some kind of a service that you weren't expecting. You know, all kinds of things. But imagine the video stream that you can say to somebody, listen, 
um, I think this is really cool. This has really been speaking to me. Or this is something that uh, you need to, to, to listen to or hear. You can just say, check out the video stream. They can do it in the privacy of their own home. They can do it in the privacy of their own timetable. All of those kinds of things. And it's just an easy way of inviting people to the first step of them potentially coming to church. Just, just think about it. It's, it's an easy, easy way of introducing somebody. Uh, you know, you may have heard something here at church that you thought was really um, helpful and profound, and, you know, you can introduce that to somebody else, okay? So I think it's really cool because, again, the message is really, really important. And um, uh, we'd love to be able to uh, have, have some kind of traction and input in people's lives because of what we believe is the greatest message in the world, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, So I'm really excited that for a church of our size, that we're streaming and we're having the kind of effects that we're having. That's really a a tremendous blessing from God. Okay? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get into content. We're, we're going through the book of Jonah and I have to start out with a, a kind of uh, admitting something. There are times in my life where I don't particularly like what God is doing. Now, I know, I, I know that's not usually um, something that you're used to hearing from a platform especially from a, a person that, you know, the expectation is, is I would have some comprehensive knowledge of God and his will and his character and his nature. But to be brutally honest, there's times, there are times in my life where I particularly do not like what God is doing. And the majority of reasons, um, I think, when we find ourselves in that kind of situation is that we don't fully understand what God is doing. We're, we're having trouble finding how this fits in, into everything. Um, you know, I don't... I, God, God, why are you blessing over here and kind of leaving this, you know, to dust? Or, or God, why, why have you in, invited me into this situation or these circumstances or this difficulty when I would never invite this of myself? Um, there, there are times I just don't understand. And I remember hearing some time ago that God was far more interested in our obedience than in our being able to fully understand him. Because God has given us enough to, to be able to obey him, even though he may not fully have revealed to us the why behind all of that obedience. And that's a tough place to be. And for many of us, that's the place where faith kind of, you know, finds its, its resting place. Is, you know, we're obeying even though we don't fully understand the whys behind it. And, you know, as we're, as we're going through the book of Jonah, that, that is a huge question in, in the background, okay? And a, this is a little bit of a defense of the person of Jonah. We know that in the very first chapter, God said, go to Nineveh, go to where the Assyrians, the head capital of the Assyrians, and I want you to preach this message to them. And we all know that, uh, you know, if you've ever read the book of Jonah, that instead of going east, he went west, he went in the exact opposite direction. And God had to deal with him. God had to put him in the belly of a fish 
you know, leave him there for the three days and say, you know, have you come to your senses yet? And when, you know, we saw this prayer of repentance last week and God said, okay, you surrendered this. So spits him up on the shore. Okay. Those are the first two chapters in a nutshell of the book of Jonah. And we're going to, you know, by the time we're done, by the way, next week, we're going to have read the entire book of Jonah. So if you have not read your Bible in a, in, in, a, in a while, you can actually tell people you read the whole book of Jonah, okay? So, you know, of, of, all, of all books. But we're going to start into the third chapter now. God has kind of released Jonah from the fish. Here he is back on the shore. And, and by the way, um, you got streamers in the way today? Okay? Deal with it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, um, then the Lord. Okay. So here we are at the very beginning of chapter three. All right. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Okay. If you haven't noticed, this is the same command that God gave Jonah in chapter one, verse one. Okay. So technically the first two chapters were a waste of time. Seriously, right? Jonah did not have to go through all of that stuff that he went through in the first two chapters. Okay, the book could have started right here, two chapters, nice and simple, get the job done, here we go. Okay, how many of you have been Jonah in the first two chapters? I know I have. Oh, I ran that way, all of this kind of stuff. I did this, and finally, I'm right back where God said I should have been in the very first place. Many of you have taken a trajectory or uh, a rerouting or a dead end, you know, a number of times, you know, before you finally get to the place where God says, this is where you should have been all along. (laughs) You mean I didn't have to, you know, uh, be surrounded in gastrointestinal Fish guts and stuff, you know? Anyway, yeah. All of that was a waste of time, okay? Well, technically, yes and no. See, there are lessons in those moments when we run from God. When we run from God, there's often moments that God uses in that running to teach us even more profound and deeper lessons about him. And here are four things that I think running from God actually teaches us about God. Number one, you're done when God says you're done. See, many times we think we could circumvent the plan of God or we can get by on our own or, you know, control our situation, whatever it is. The reality is, is here's Jonah right back to the very place that God had initially told him to go and do. And here he is. God said, you know, Jonah, no offense, but you're not done yet, buddy. We have a job for you to do. You're not done until God says you're done. That's true of your entire life, by the way. You may come to the end of your life. God is in control of that. You're done when God says you're done. Secondly, What's important to God should be important to you. There's, there's so many things that 
you know, um, we, we, we talk about, you know, even from this platform, about what it is that we should invest in every day of our lives when it comes to having a relationship with God, that that is so important. God wants to have a relationship with you because he loves you, because he cares for you. That, that you can start that relationship, you know, wherever you are in your life. And God will always attempt to move you to a better place if you're willing to let him. Because that's important to God. I've said many, many times that, you know, we act as if, you know, everything we do for God is the primary important thing to God. But I don't necessarily believe that. I believe your heart committed to God is the most important thing that God is looking for. He is looking for your faith, a deep relationship, this 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 repentant kind of nature to say, God, you know, I essentially, at the very core of who I am, am, am wrong, and you are right. And I surrender my life, make you Lord of my life, and I live in a way that honors and glorifies you. That's not, you know, that sounds very um, high and noble, and, you know, from, from, a, from a pastor on a platform, that sounds like what I should be saying to everybody all the time. But let's be honest, that's the hardest way to live, isn't it? I've always said the most courageous thing you can do in your life is to love like Jesus loved. You will not have a more difficult kind of way of, of, of living when you try to love like Jesus loved. Because there's going to be lots of tensions in your life about you know, this person and that person, and am I, you know, being treated properly, all that kind of stuff. But Jesus was able to love people in such a way that moved them to a place, that made them make a decision about it was about their lives in such a way, do I accept this or reject this? And if I reject this, I don't think it's going to be a good thing. Here's number three. God wants your actions and your heart. Jonah, in many ways, is going to struggle in this particular area. All right? He's going he's to end up doing what God wants him to do and, and result in all that stuff. But it's not ever going to sit right with him. It's, it's going to be that moment where he's going to say, God, I don't fully like what you're doing. There's just something going on here. I'm not sure these are the right people you should be reaching out to. I'm not sure this, these are the right people that you should be pouring your grace into. I'm just not sure. I'll do it, but I'm just not sure. How different would it have been for Jonah if he was fully, his heart was fully behind it? Saw the grace of God, became a vehicle of the grace of God, not just the judgment of God. Okay, uh, and number four, God is consistent and persistent. Okay, that's, you know, that's, that's something, you, you know, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Those kinds of statements. That God is consistent and persistent. God is not, you know, um, wants the best for everyone. Okay, and God chases after us. You know, I, I remember the first time I heard this notion that God is actively pursuing us because he loves us. That, that kind of grounded, like, that did something to me when I first heard that. Because I thought I was the one that was always supposed to be chasing after God. 
And there was those, these moments where I knew that I, I kind of lapsed in my relationship or I wasn't quite what I needed to be and, and all this stuff. And to think that God in those moments was still pursuing me because he loved me. I think that's absolutely powerful. That, you know, and, and, and just like Jonah, even though running the other way, God is still there. God is still there. All right? So, you know, those are the lessons that we learn about running, okay? But you know what? You don't have to run to learn those. Those are true no matter what. Okay? So if you're running from God, please stop. I beg you. You're not going to get very far. And you know what? You're going to be back in chapter 1 and go through chapter 2. And then you're going to get to chapter 3 and go, oh, oh, I just wasted. <laughs> right? Because Jonah's right, right there. All right? So let's, let's, let's read a bit more about, you know, this time, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show sorrow. Now, let me, let me pause here for just... Um, just a minute. 40 in the Bible is a really important number. Okay? 40 is a really important number. 40 is, um, you know, Noah's Ark afloat for 40 days. Um, 40 years that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. 40 days Jesus appeared after the resurrection, you know, to... to to people. Um, so 40 days is a big number. Now to the Ninevites, you know, if you hear this, the very first thing you're going to think is judgment. What if I told you that for the Ninevites, this was not a message of judgment, but instead a message of hope? What if you saw this as a message that said, Listen, God acknowledges that what you're doing is wrong. God acknowledges that you deserve something that he can deliver very easily. But there's an if. God will relent from this if you change your ways. I'm going to talk about some terminology in this book that has been missing so far that I want to stress. And I'm going to do that a little bit later because this is really important when it comes to the whole understanding of judgment. But here we are at this particular juncture where we could say, oh, God is being mean to us. But the reality is for the Ninevites, this is a message of hope because they've got 40 days to get their act together. That's an important distinction that happens in the Bible. And we'll show you a pattern that is very common that we often forget. So for the Ninevites, let's treat this as a message of hope. Because it doesn't have to end this way. Okay, so the king hears this. Here's the next passage. You know, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, 
He stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Okay? Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. Uh, Let me read the next passage for you. No one, not even, this is the decree of the king. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Now, it's important to note that in the ancient Near East, this is the way that people mourned. This is the way that people grieved. This is the way that people repented, is in sackcloth and ashes. You hear this terminology in the Old Testament all the time. It was a public de- demonstration that they um, were grieving the kind of life they had lived before, okay? Apart from a, you know, a physical loss where they grieved that, and they were repenting of what they had become. And this, this message of repentance is so rife in, in, the, in the book of Jonah. Now, some of you are, are thinking in terms of judgment, and that's fair enough, but there's terminology in Jonah that is vitally, vitally important to, to recognize. And it's in this particular passage, and in fact, it's in the very first of Jonah when God first gave the message to Jonah to go to Nineveh. He says, I know of their wicked ways. I know about their evil, and I know about their violence. God is judging them for evil. Now, that's not a word that we acknowledge in this day today. Okay? We don't like the terminology of evil or wickedness or anything like that. Okay? It's a difficult word for all of us. In fact, I don't know if I've ever heard some of the most atrocious things that happen ever anybody ever just apply the word evil to it. Okay? But the Assyrians here in this particular time frame are violent people. Okay? And their violence has, you know, caused great damage and grief to the nation of Israel. And God says, you just, you just can't continue being violent. You just can't continue to be evil. You can't continue, you know, to be wicked towards people. So this is, this is what they're being judged for. This is, this is kind of like, um, you know, the, 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 the measuring line of what brings it. All right? So here's the last verse. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, that's what repentance does. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Okay? Powerful. Here's an entire nation that could have, should have, but didn't. Okay? They repented and it didn't happen. And God relented from judging them. All right? Um, You know, to our modern sensibilities, we don't know what to do with this in many ways. Okay? 
But there are some things I want to highlight out of this particular section that we need to take away from this, okay? For Jonah, there are two pressing questions. Why them? Why now? How many of you have ever wondered that when it comes to how God acts in the world? God, why them? And why now? There is absolutely nothing that we can see, at least scripturally, for God to act this way towards these Syrians. Okay? Like, what? like we, we don't see, for instance, this massive kind of movement of this nation to want to get right with God. And yet God incredibly um, bring, you know, raises up Jonah to speak into the lies of the Assyrians. And they respond. Like, you know, many, by the way, many people think the miracle is Jonah in the fish. I don't. I think the miracle is right here. An entire city repents. That's the miracle in Jonah. That's, that's the heart of the book of Jonah. That God deals with the man. He repents. Which leads to entire nation repenting. That's the miracle. Okay? Which is powerful. Absolutely powerful. Why them? Why now? Here's, here's one of the things I think is, is so real in this modern world. That more good is accomplished when the very worst are saved. See, good people just do good things and all that stuff. But, you know, a person who has had a lifestyle and God, God's grace kind of invades their life, they are so excited about what they've become and what they can do for God. And it's like you, you can't turn that firecracker off. And they just become something for God that, you know, we don't normally see. And it's powerful. And it's absolutely powerful. And I think there's times in, in life that, that God's grace reaches certain people. And you go, wow, did that life ever turn around? And you see that the life was one, at one point going this way. And suddenly it's going this way. And you go, wow, the grace of God, the power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. And is, you know, it, just, it just encapsulates all of that in such a way that you know, more good is done because of it. I can't imagine, you know, for even the animals to have, you know, this posture of repentance in Nineveh, what that would have done. But to see an entire nation kind of bend the knee to the Lord would have been a huge statement. Let me get this right. The Assyrians, the people, those people that, that burn whole cities and impale people and murder and, and like... What? Let me get this right. The Apostle Paul, who was killing Christians, who was you know, actively pursuing to make sure he would get rid of people of the way, and suddenly he's now a believer? And, and people would go, uh, don't go into... In fact, other believers were afraid to get around the Apostle Paul because they thought at first it was a ploy. What better way to get into the enemy camp than pretend you're one of them? But more good is accomplished when the very worst are saved. When people come 
from this place where they never thought grace would be able to invade their lives. And they come out of it like, like lighthouses on a hill. And you go, wow. And sometimes as believers, if you've been a believer a long time, you wish, man, I wish my light would shine like that. Okay? Here's, here's, here's number two. There's a pattern in the Bible that I need, you know, that, that is happening here that we don't fully understand because we don't often see uh, the first two. No, God, God acts gracefully to everyone, okay? And if, if people start getting, you know, away from him, there's usually warnings that happen in the Bible. And the warnings come in many, many ways. Often they come in the way of a prophet saying, listen, you made a covenant with God. You promised that you would be obedient to God. And God said, you know, if you get out of line a little bit, these are the potential things that could happen to you as based on this covenant. And God would raise up the prophet to say, uh, listen, guys, you think everything is rosy and you think everything is beautiful. It's all sunshine, lollipops and rainbows. Um, but the reality is you've forgotten God. And if you continue in this way, then discipline is going to happen. God is going to have to, you know, get your attention in some way. And if you reject that, all right, then comes some form of judgment. Okay? But you see, most of us do not recognize the hand of God until we're in the discipline or judgment phase. We totally forget that, the, that there's grace, that there's times in our lives that people are pouring into our lives, reminding us about the grace of God, telling us that God is active and pursuing us and loving us and, and all those kinds of things. Okay? And in fact, we even have a tendency to forget the warnings. That, you know, that, 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 that God is you know, bringing people in our lives to say, hey, hey you know, don't keep doing that. That's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for you as, and your children. It's not, you know, if you continue to do that, your life's going to unravel. Okay? Those are the two f- first steps that we often do not see as God's gracious, you know, hand in our lives. We don't start taking notice until there's some discipline. And then, then, and then we start saying, God, why are, you, why are you doing that to me? God, why are you, you know... God, don't you love me anymore, right? And that's the reality, because often in the Bible, if you look at the pattern, it's grace, warnings, discipline, judgment. Judgment is, is one thing that God reserves when all other factors are gone. Remember that, because we're so harsh on God and his judgment. The reality is, it's never... like. <laughs> The snap judgment thing of God isn't the way that God operates. It's almost always mercy first. Okay? We are all, and I've said many times, we're the opposite. We love the judgment aspect. You made your bed. I told you you shouldn't. I said if you did. And so here you are. Okay? Okay? God's first response, okay, is, is mercy, grace. But we miss those first two steps, all right? 
Uh, and that's the pattern that's shown in the Bible time and time and time again. Here's number three. God is the giver of second chances and much more. Okay? God is the giver of second chances and much more. I would argue three, four, five, and, and, and more and more all the time. I'm told all the time as a pastor, prologue is history. Do you know their past? Have you seen the wave that they leave behind? You know, I, uh, in fact, I, I read a, a, remember reading a Christian book on, uh, on leadership, and I remember talking about be aware of the wake that people leave, you know, behind them. Okay? Like, and this is the way we, we live our lives, right? You know, if they're, whatever their past is, usually determines the way they're going to be for us in the present and in the future. And I have a bit of difficulty with that. Because it kind of leaves God out of the equation. Kind of leaves the potential for change. I don't want to be, I don't want to be remembered for, by the mistakes I made in the past. And yet we struggle with that too, right? You know? And the reality is, is if we don't see changes, that's where the problem comes in. Okay? There's, there's truth to that. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's truth to that. But the reality is, when it comes to God, God loves to give second chances. We might struggle with it, but God loves to give second chances and third chances. Thankfully. Thankfully. Okay? Other people may have written us off. I'm not sure God is that quick to write us off. Okay? Here's the last thing. Um, God's offer of grace is for all races and all, all faces, all places. Okay? Jonah struggled with that. What do, you mean, what do you mean grace to them? And had the whole list of why extend grace to them? Why extend grace to them? See, there's a particular truth that underlies the entire book of Jonah that um, I, I, want, I want to, to get to when it comes to this you know, idea of grace. That's why I push the hope element in the 40 days, because many people would have just treated it as a, a thing of judgment, that they deserved. God could have very easily said, it's done, you've hit the line, you've gone too far, all of that kind of stuff, boom. But he doesn't. See, and the, the, the true thing about, you know, when we talk about transformation, when we talk about, you know, I've always, said, I've always said this kind of thing, that only God can transform. The very best that we can do is reform. You know, but when it comes to true transformation, that is a work of God. That is a work of the Spirit of God. But how we experience um, transformation usually comes in two ways. And the two have to collide together. All right? True transformation happens when grace and truth collide. That's where true transformation happens. You see, I can extend grace and I can extend love to to somebody to such a a degree that actually what you end up doing is actually enabling them in whatever bad thing they're doing. But I'm caring for them uh, and I'm loving them. And that's fair. That's a good thing to do. 
But they're going to say, they're going to, they're going to say, you love me to such a degree, I'm okay carrying on the way I'm, I am because I know you're always going to be there. Okay? That's, that's a difficult place to be. But truth, you know, on the other hand, if you're just all about truth and not about love, people just shut you down. They're, they're, they're not listening anymore, right? They're saying things like, you know, you should stop doing this. And most people stand back and say, oh, this is from the person who? How many of you ever said that? Okay? Because the very first thing you do is compare what they're saying to you, truth-wise, with what they're doing in their own lives. But there's something that happens when grace and truth collide at the very same time, to the same degree, to the same measure, and suddenly it becomes this catalyst for something that is transformative. And it's the work of God, I, I realize that, but it's how we experience it, okay? Let, let, me, get, let me get this right. You still, you still love me. You're still gracious towards me. And yet, you're telling me very clearly that this is not acceptable anymore. That there's something wrong about what you believe. That this is something wrong. That I can't support this any longer. That I will, I will, I will love you. I'll be there for you. But here are the boundaries. Here's, here's how we're going to live. This is how it's going to go from here on in. Right? This might sound harsh. But if you stumble, if you fall, if you need someone to pick you up, I'm going to be right there, but to come back tomorrow and to continue the way you're living is unacceptable. Now, I don't know about you, but those two things had to come together in my life. I don't know if, if this makes any sense to you whatsoever. Okay? But you know, my, my church experience was not a very good or healthy church experience, okay? Um, not a whole lot of grace, some truth. And, and I would argue maybe not a whole lot of that either, okay? But it wasn't until these two things came together in the character and nature of God and realized that this is absolutely identified with the person of Jesus Christ, do you know in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Now, I don't know about you. That's not a 50-50. That's a 100 and 100. And they merge together. And I'm reading stories like Jesus and Nicodemus. And I'm reading stories like, G- like Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And I'm reading stories about Jesus and the blind man. And suddenly, truth and grace are coming together. You know, you've got the religious leaders on one side saying to the blind man, saying, no, he did that on a Sabbath. You can't. We don't care if you were blind and now you can see. What's that got to do with anything? And the blind man is going, I don't care what you say about him. But I was blind. Now I see. So take a hike. Where were you when I, where were you when I, where were you when I? I 
I, I, I love the story of Jonah for a lot of reasons. One of them being the fact that grace and truth really do collide in this book. And you have to see that. And can I tell you another thing? The nation of Assyria, with how they've been characterized in this particular thing, can I tell you that after Jesus, that the very first nation that became totally Christian was the Assyrian nation? Do you know at one time they were the largest Christian nation in the world? And, I, you know, let me get this right. Who helped, who helped take the gospel to Assyria? Wasn't it Doubting Thomas? Yeah. So never doubt what God is doing. We may not totally understand it in the moment, but God's got a big plan. And that big plan often often includes you. As I said, we don't fully understand it. But God is at work, grace in our lives, and is pouring truth into our lives each and every day. My prayer is that you be like the Ninevites in this moment right now and hear it fresh, new, and see it for what it is. A message of grace and truth where God is saying, you don't need to be going down this road. Do a little U-turn. Open up your heart. Open it to me. And your life will never be the same. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for good old Jonah. Lord, he struggled in so many ways, and yet such a picture of the way that we can struggle sometimes. Lord, help us as we seek to be obedient to you each and every day. Help us with the small steps. As, as we know, small hinges swing big doors. And often it's those small steps of obedience that we take in you that release big results. So Lord, each and every day, may we be reminded of your grace and of your truth and how those two, when they collide, we experience transformation in ways that we could never manufacture on our own. Thank you for the spirit of God in our lives. And thank you that we can be a blessing to others because we live in obedience to you. So, Father, as we conclude the series on Jonah next week, I pray that you would bless us as we seek to learn your word and learn more about you through this amazing book. In Jesus' name, amen.